Well, thank you very much, ladies. It's nice to hear what I know are some of uh, our congregation's favorite hymns. Um, let me just try to see if I can fix this thing here. The masks kind of make it tricky, guys. <laughs> Well, it's good to see each of you. I'm thankful for many of you who uh, allowed me to be able to take a break last week on Sunday. I'm appreciative of that. And I heard that it went well, um, this special time that we had of sharing um, and recognizing not just the things that we're joyful in this world for, but our loss and the hopes that we have for the future. Uh, I was going to jump us back in into our series of Acts, which we took a break with when we entered into the Advent season. However, the Lord put a different message on my heart, which I'm really excited to share with you today. I think it's a, a good message to hear as we approach a new year and the importance of us as Christians and how it relates to our call in daily living. So I'm excited to talk about that more and to be in the book of Philippians today. Uh, but let's go ahead and take a time to enter into one more moment of prayer. And for those of you that don't know, I like to start the sermon off with a prayer of intent to just continue to remind ourselves uh, about what we're about to receive, that we're going to enter into God's word together, and that hopefully through doing this, we will allow his word to penetrate our hearts, to be planted inside of us, and to grow in and through us. So would you pray with me? Lord, I do pray for these moments where we are going to hear from your word. I ask, Father, that you would uh, just use me as your instrument to be able to speak your truth to others. We thank you, Lord, for this new year and for what newness represents. I pray a blessing upon every person who is listening here today, uh, whether online or in our sanctuary, and just pray that you would give them a fantastic year, that you would start to fill them up with hopes, goals, and ideas to fulfill your kingdom work here in this place. Lord, we pray as we do so many times that you would give us eyes to see the things that you're doing and ears to hear the words that you're speaking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's something that you might not know about me. I, I maybe ma mentioned it a time or two, uh, but one of my favorite all-time movies is called Chariots of Fire. Have any of you ever heard of that movie before? It comes from the 1980s. Uh, it has kind of a famous soundtrack. I won't try to, to sing it up here because it would be embarrassing. But it's, a, it's based on a true story of a runner named Eric Little. And I won't go too much into that story, but there's kind of a, a relationship that I have with that movie. And it's this, the, this main character who says that he just finds this pleasure in being able to run. Now, I know for many people, the thought of running is, is a scary one, right? Uh, it, running can be difficult. It can be painful. You have to break a sweat. You have to really commit yourself in order to do it well. Well, I, weirdly enough, I'm a strange guy, and I actually enjoy running. I haven't been able to do that so much lately. Uh, getting hit with a car doesn't usually help these things, um, <laughs> but one of my favorite things to do is to run. I get a lot of joy out of it. 
I use running oftentimes as a way to de-stress, to allow myself to, to clear my mind, and sometimes I even use running as a way to pray, where I pray for each of you in the congregation as the Lord will bring you to mind, or just pray for the things in my life um, that I'm going through that I just need to open up to God with. And running has been such a joy to me through the years. And while I wouldn't say that I'm a great runner, I've learned a thing or two about running. And, and some of my biggest lessons with running actually came a few years ago uh, when the Lord called me back to be a missions pastor and, and, and to, to help lead a church out in Florida to be a part of that. Uh, one of the things that he set me up with is he set me up with a connection with this group of runners. Now, it wasn't your typical group of runners. In fact, most of the runners were above the age of 50, if not above the age of 60. And my closest running partner was around 63 years old. And uh, I know for some of you that's still a pretty uh, ripe number, but for me, that was over twice my age at that time. And this running partner, though, who was 63, 64 years old, would kick my butt every single time we ran together. It was amazing. He was an incredible athlete, and these group of runners were incredible athletes. And the only reason why I could stick around them was because I was literally half their age. But I remember one time as he was training me up and trying to help me go further than I had ever gone, at least within that season of life, we were going on a nine-mile run, and we hit around mile four or five, and I began to hit in the runner's world what was called a wall, where it was really difficult for me to continue to go. And I was just about ready to stop when he started to talk to me and tried to coach me along with continuing to go. And I'll never forget what he told me, but he told me to take a moment and recognize the pain that I was feeling in that moment of running. And I did that because I was living it, right? And he said, I want you to realize that whatever you're feeling right now, it's not going to get any worse. What you're feeling right now is just the height of whatever pain you're going to experience on this run. So the sooner that you accept that it's not going to get worse and just accept the pain that you're feeling, the further you'll be able to go. Now that is good advice, but it's still really difficult advice to accept, right? Because what are you having to do? What did I have to do at least in that moment? I needed to recognize that I was experiencing pain. And I needed to also recognize that I was going to continue to experience pain. However, I also had to recognize that while I was experiencing this pain, that ultimately this pain wouldn't get any worse. And the quicker I would be willing to accept it, the further I would be able to go. And what was amazing is that once I accepted it and once I allowed my mind to accept it, I continued to go and within, and within a mile, a lot of that pain just started to go away. 
And it was almost like I got a second wind as my body accepted what was in front of me and what I had to accomplish and what I had to do. Running has offered me these life lessons, and I think in some ways these lessons in this story depicts a spiritual truth that we can apply to all of our lives. The reality that we're going to hit walls in life. The reality that there are moments in our life where we're faced with great pain. The truth that we sometimes need to continue to push forward through all of this. I think these kinds of concepts and ideas are really important for approaching a new year and having a New Year's message, right? So let's go ahead and take a moment to look to Scripture. And as Phil was mentioning before, this was written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And I believe that one of these letters in particular was one of Paul's prison epistle letters, meaning that he was writing these letters to encourage other people while he himself was in chains and in prison. So let's go ahead and read some of the scriptures that we have for you today. So if you have your Bibles out, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3. We will be putting certain scriptures up on the screen, uh, but not all of them. So Philippians chapter 3, and we are in verse 12. And if you don't have a Bible, you can always bust out your phone and use that. But um, the real thing's always better, guys. (laughs) All right. So Philippians 3.12, it says this, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'll read that one more time for you. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or I have already arrived at my what? My goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, I think this is a really important sentence in Paul's life because I think it gives a window into the type of person that Paul was in the way that he approached his life. And I'm going to give you three points today that really, I think, will set you up well to approaching this new year. And the first point is this. Align your goals with Christ. Align your goals with Christ. If we look at these scriptures, if we look at verse 12 really closely, what you see here is a few things happening. One, Paul is stating to the people that he hasn't reached his goal yet, right? That he hasn't gotten to where he wants to be. But what's amazing is is that he has a goal in mind. That even while he's in prison, even while he's in a situation that would be less than ideal, where you would think that your goals would be done with, and that your life is basically at the end of where it needs to be, he still literally keeps goals in mind. 
What should that tell us? That should tell us that no matter whatever season of life we find ourselves in, young or old, with plenty or with little, we should still maintain a posture of creating goals. And it also should tell us something else. It should tell us that our goals should be fueled by Christ. Or as I said in point one, that we should really allow our goals to align with what God has in store for us. You know, it's a classic thing for a young person to go through college or maybe a trade school and switch majors. You know, I don't know what the numbers are today, but when I was in college... I think the numbers were the average college student would change their uh, major around five times. That's a lot of changing, right? And I remember when I was in college and I was thinking about what I would study, I ended up changing my major just two times, but I was thinking about what I would study and what the Lord would have for me, and I really didn't come to the place of where I knew what I should do until I took the time to allow the Lord to speak into me. And I think that does something for us. You see, if you just set a goal, if you just set kind of something out in the future that you want to accomplish, but you haven't allowed God to be a part of it, what ends up happening? You might not have the confidence to stick with it. Or, you might not have the blessing to stick with it. Think about that. You see, it is so important that we align our goals with what God is calling us to, because that means that the path will be paved for us in some ways. You see, when we take the time to allow the Lord to speak into the direction of our lives, then we're also allowing the Lord to bless the direction that we're trying to go towards. You see, I'm a firm believer that the Lord wants to fulfill the desires of our hearts. Scripture tells us this. Scripture literally says that God wants to fulfill the desires of our hearts. The problem with this is, is that oftentimes many of us desire things that are ungodly. So that kind of concept of God wanting to fulfill the desires of our hearts, but yet us desiring something ungodly kind of come into conflict with each other. But the truth is, is that the more you take the time to align your will and that's an important word, to align your will with God, the more that you will realize that the things that the Lord have put in you are truly things that the Lord have put in you. Meaning that the desires that you have were put there by God. And I believe that if God puts a desire in your heart, it's because He wants you to pursue it. Let me give you an example. When I was younger, I had a desire to be able to help speak truth to people through the power of the gospel. 
And that was a deep desire in my life that started around the age of 15, that I want to be able to help people see the beauty of God and what they can know and experience in Him. And that is what I consider to be my calling in life. And I believe that that was put there divinely by God. And I've given myself to that call. And I've seen the Lord miraculously open up doors that should have never been opened, given me opportunities that should never have happened, and have in some ways expedited that process in my life so that I can do exactly that. You know, I've literally been, have the blessing of being able to say that I've been working in a church in some capacity or another since I was 18 years old. And I know that there's not a lot of people that could say that. And how cool is it that I've been able to experience that in my own life? But let me take, let me take you to something else that I haven't gotten to experience yet, at least fully. Is my wife and I, we, we, as you know, we love horses, right? And, or maybe she loves horses and I tolerate horses. <laughs> but we have a desire to use that as a platform to be able to help bring healing to people's lives. And we haven't seen that happen just yet, but we believe that desire is there because God wants us to fulfill it. So we're working towards making that happen. So while we don't have, you know, some multi-million dollar facility with all these gorgeous horses, it's kind of rough on a pastor's salary to get there. <laughs> we're doing with, with what is in front of us. And when we see someone in our community that might need some form of... of, of, of uh, a touch by, by an animal, then we try to link those two things together and we try to fulfill our call right where we're at. So don't, don't diminish the desires that God have put in your, in your heart. Because I believe that if they're the kinds of desires that aren't sinful desires... And if you've taken the time to pray and to think and to fast about the things that you are trying to pursue, and you are, like Paul, making goals and aligning your goals with what you believe God is calling you to do, then the Lord is going to bring you there. He's going to push you towards that. He's going to bless the path towards that. But let me talk about two things now that I think can sometimes get in the way for better or for worse when we're trying to think about our goals. And those two things are our emotions and our reason, okay? Our emotions and our reason. So how do, how do most people approach making goals in life? I think some people, especially nowadays, lean heavily on their emotions, right? They feel something and then they just kind of go that direction that they feel. Then they feel something else and then they just go in that direction that they feel. Now, I think that can be a really dangerous thing, to live your life by your emotions, to have an emotive way of pursuing your goals, and your destiny in life. And if you are that kind of person, then listen well to what I have to say to you. Because your emotions can deceive you. 
Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, that sounds pretty pessimistic, right? <laughs> There's plenty of other scriptures in, in, that, that talk about the importance of the heart. But what I think Jeremiah is trying to do right here is he's trying to bring up a, a common struggle that we face as people. And that is, is that sometimes our emotions can deceive us, right? Sometimes we can feel something towards maybe someone or, or a, a pathway that we want to take. And it can be the wrong path for ourselves, so make sure that while you are setting up your goals, that you are being careful to not be 100% led by your emotions alone. You see, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that our emotions are a bad thing. In fact, I actually think that our emotions can be a great thing. You know, sometimes people try to get away so much from emotions that they only do reason, right? That's the other option, is we approach things using our reason alone. Now, sometimes what that means is, is we make a pros and cons list. Any of you guys a pros and cons kind of person out here? Yeah, you're, you are, you are. <laughs> Where you kind of put all the pros in one column, and then you put the cons on the other. Reason can be a very good thing. God has given us brains, right? And he's calling us to use it. In fact, I feel like scripture perpetually and constantly endorses the use of our minds. I'm reminded by this passage in Luke that I believe we'll put on the screen for you, where it says this, for which you, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to, uh, to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So what, what, is, what is being spoken of here? What's being spoken of is, is, is the importance of using your reason in thinking through your life or thinking through your goals. However, again, sometimes our reason alone can also not be good for us. Sometimes the most pragmatic choice may not be the best choice for us. Let me, let me make sense of this. I'll use an example out of my own life again. When I started seminary school, gosh, in 2013, so eight years ago, um, one of the decisions I made was I was going to sign up for a program there that was more driven to pastors, okay? This was the program you did, and you did it if you were going to be a pastor, but I started to feel a conviction in my heart that the Lord was calling me into a different program called apologetics. And I really wrestled with that. And I even met with the chair of the apologetic program. And he was trying to dissuade me from going into the apologetic program. 
And he was even saying to me as much as this. He said, you know, if you get this degree, I just want you to know that it's going to be harder for you to be a pastor. You know, you get the other degree, you, you put that sign outside of your door, and, you know, someone's going to come knocking. You get this degree, maybe not so much. But I felt in my heart that the Lord was telling me that the next generation of people were going to need to know how to defend and articulate their, articulate their faith because our world is only getting further away from truth. And I believed that God was calling me to be somebody that is able to speak that truth and defend that truth to the world. So after a lot of prayer, my wife and I decided this might be the most logical choice using my reason, but this is the direction God is calling me in. So sometimes, even though the Lord, I believe, wants us to be people that are using our reason, we still need to make sure that both our reason and our emotions are tempered with prayer. And they're tempered with a constant seeking of the Lord, that we're setting goals that we're aligning those goals with Christ, and that we're ultimately, to the best of our ability, constantly saying, Lord, search my heart. Continue to guide me. Continue to give me direction. So my prayer for you, especially during this New Year's season, is that you would take the time to do this now. That you would start to work on setting your goals, but making sure that your goals are aligned with Christ. Let's keep on going. We have a, a, a lot that we can talk about, so I'm going to try to restrain myself now. <laughs> Verse 13, it says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. My goodness, this is an important point. If you're taking notes, make sure you write down this next one. Point two, look forward and not in the past. Look forward and not in the past. Now, does that mean that the past is bad? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't, in some ways, remember the past? That we shouldn't be good students of history and recognize the things that came behind us? No, that doesn't mean that either. Those things are absolutely important. It is important for me to make sure, and you as well, that we are aware of our histories as well as other people's histories. Because if not, then we have the potential to repeat those histories, right? That's why it's so important for, for kids especially to be able to learn good history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because it affords them the perspective of, of experiencing someone else's life. However, some of us are sometimes held captive by the past decisions that we've made the failures that we've experienced, or maybe the families that we've come from. 
And because of that, we literally become in bondage and paralyzed in being able to move forward because we're constantly reliving in our own minds the failures of our past or the things in our life that have caused us constraint. It is so important for you to take inventory, yes, of your life and to think through the things that have happened in your life. Now is a good time to do that. But not to allow that to be on the forefront of your mind in a way that cripples you from moving forward. Church, the Lord wants you to continue to move forward. Here's a reality. Each one of us is going to make a mistake. It's just going to happen. I'm going to fail one of you. You're going to fail me as well. Why? Because we live in a broken world. And that is the place that we find ourselves in. But even though that is true, the more time we take thinking about every single mistake that we make, and the less time we take just moving forward, then we are literally preventing our lives from going towards the direction that God is calling us to. There is something called failing forward, and that's what the Christian life should look like. If you make a lot of mistakes, okay, you're in the right place, (laughs) but there needs to be a sense in your life of failing forward, where you're not constantly being knocked down and backsliding, but that you might be struggling, and that's fine, but every fall you make, you're still going forward to the direction that God is calling you in. Amen? And this is such an important, really, uh, truth to, to, to hold on to. Because what the enemy wants to do to you is he wants to discourage you in your failures. That is what Satan's goal is. I mean, John 10.10 obviously lays that out, right? What's the enemy's goal? To steal, to kill, to destroy. So anything in your life that can lead to that goal, that's his goal. Steal, kill, destroy. He's going to work out and he's working really hard. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 8. He says this, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because you're, and listen to what he's saying right here, and if you have your Bibles and a pen, feel free to underline this, because this is good. But because your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Now, this is another good verse to underline. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings 
death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Wow. That is some powerful truth there. You see, it is 100% okay to feel convicted, to feel bad, to have some forms of regret in life for the choices that you've made or the experiences that you've had or the things that have happened to you. That is okay. But according to Paul, these kinds of sorrows are, should not lead you to self-wallowing in pity. These kinds of sorrows should lead you to what? Repentance. And from verse 10, he literally says that repentance is what leads to salvation and, leads, and leaves no regrets. Think about that. So if you are living a life full of regret that just makes you feel constantly bad about who you are and creates paralysis in your life, then know that that is not from God. Because true godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads to a new life. It leads to change. It leads to righteousness. It leads to the types of qualities that he lists in verse 11, an earnestness, an eagerness to clear yourself. That is what true sorrow leads to. Anything else is worldly sorrow, and it is not from the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants you to continue to move forward to the goals and the desires that God has placed in your heart. Church, may you allow 2021 to be a year where you can do that, where you can let go of the past, where you can allow your sorrows to just fuel you into a mission to do what God has called you to do. Verse 14 in Philippians 3 says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Just underline everything here. <laughs> it's all good. My final point for you today is to seek to grow in Christian maturity. To seek to grow in Christian maturity. I hate to say this, but it is 100% true. The Church of America has enough baby Christians. We don't need any more. <laughs> yes, we want more people to become Christians in the sense that they will be babies. But so many of us 
have been babies for 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, I've seen baby Christians that are older than me who have been Christians longer than me. And I think God wants us, according to at least these words that Paul is speaking, to grow in our Christian maturity. And as he so importantly puts it in verse 16, to live up to what we have already attained. What does that mean? So to, 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 to read what's on the screen here, to live up to the righteousness that you have obtained, to live up to the forgiveness that you have been given, to live up to the just nature that God sees you in, to live up to the fulfilled life that you now have in Christ, to live up to being an overcomer through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to live as people who are more than conquerors through Christ. I mean, think about that. That is literally everything that the gospel is able to bring in a person's life. A just nature, forgiveness, righteousness, being an overcomer. And that is what literally Paul is saying in this moment that we need to live to. This is the quality of your character that needs to exist. Because that is the work of God in your life. That is what the gospel has done for every single person who says yes to Jesus. But yet we often live like we're still afraid, like we're still powerless, like we're still insecure and doubtful. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to diminish any of those struggles, because I can name a couple on there that I still struggle with. But I am committed, day after day, year after year, to continue to fight for what's on the other list, because I believe that that other list more represents who God has called me to be, who God has made me to be, than to be a person who is constantly dealing with fear, anxiety, depression, insecurity. Amen? I believe the same is true for each and every single one of you. Press on, as Paul says, toward the goal to win the prize, to do what the Lord has called you to do. And allow for this new year season to refresh you and to excite you for what is to come. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage each of you as a way of application this week to take this week to get alone with God and to focus on one of the three points today. Are your goals aligned with God's goals? Are you the kind of person that is stuck in your past? Look forward. And then finally, how do you in this year grow in your maturity with Christ? And I want you to do those three things this week. Very important. 
as you approach this new year. And I believe that if you take the time to do that, that if you take the time to make inventory of these things, that you will set yourself up for one of the best years that you'll ever have. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that that means that your stock market account's going to (laughs) go. But what I mean is, is that you'll be more focused on the goals that the Lord has for you and being the kind of individual that God has called each and every single one of you to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all these truths. Lord, I thank you for everyone's patience and allowing me to preach extra long today. (laughs) But Father, these are important matters that we are discussing. And I just pray, Lord, that as we continue to approach this new season of life, um, this new year that we're given and reminded by the freshness that a new year is to bring, that we would continue to do all of these things, that we would align our goals with your goals, that we would not get stuck in the past, but that we would move forward to the future that you're calling us to, and that ultimately, Lord, that we would continue to grow in our maturity, because it matters, Lord. I pray, Father, that if there is anybody in this room that is just feeling a weight because they realize that that maybe they've lived a long life of struggling with all of these things. I pray that you would allow that feeling of regret to turn into repentance and then the strength to move forward because that is what you're calling us to, Lord. You do not leave us in the mud, but you call us out of it. I pray, Father, that you would help each of us run our race this year and to experience breakthrough in ways that we perhaps haven't in in years past. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, at this time, as I mentioned earlier in the service, we are going to continue with communion. Now, I'm going to go ahead and turn to a passage of scripture to read to you about regarding communion. But I want to remind you that communion is a time that is taken for believers, meaning that this is our a symbolic way and a spiritual way for us to remember what Christ has done on the cross for us. I want to remind you that if you are not a believer, that you would refrain from taking communion. Because this is a sacred act that we take seriously. And we take these elements seriously because these elements represent the broken body and the blood of our Lord and Savior. So I would just ask that as the tray comes by, you can either cross your hands or just say no if you do not consider yourself as a Christian. But if you would like to make a profession of faith, I'd encourage you to take communion as a way to profess your faith. So at this time, the plates are going to be coming to you, and Mariana and Abel, I believe, are going to be coming around, and, and uh, I know this is a little different. We've been doing it different this year, and I guess last year with communion and in our handing out the plates right now. Um, so I was just talking to Phil this morning on how we miss being able to come up and do it the way that we're used to. 
But I'm grateful that we're still getting to do this together. Amen.